Hey Reese, hey Benji, loving the pod. Avril Lavigne episode changed my life. Um, just wondering though, like, uh, when you might be doing Sinner by Drowning Pool? I mean, you've covered some rad albums, but like, Sinner, Drowning Pool, when's that coming? Hey Benji, hey Reese, it's me again. Um, I'm, I know you guys are super busy and like you've probably forgotten all, but um, waiting for Sinner by Drowning Pool. Just still, still waiting. Hey Reese, hey Benji, it's Ez. Um, look, I don't normally pull my friends into my personal stuff. I try not to, but look, I just thought, I want to tell you guys, I've been seeing a therapist lately, and um, Erin and I, have, we've identified some issues, and she really, she really thinks that I'm not going to get the closure I need until um, Butcher Death Trip does a, a Drowning Pool episode. Um, so I don't know, can you, can you help a sister out? I, I'm I'm desperate. Dear Ez, I meant to reply sooner, but I've just been busy. Yeah, we'll do an ep on Drowning Pool. I'll just hit up Benji. Look, I'm really flattered that she would request an ep like that, and I'll even add it to the intro. Might even start it off with a nice little rap. I've never really listened to Drowning Pool. I must have missed it. I don't think I did that shit intentionally. I probably just was busy listening to Limp Biscuit, Or maybe I was on my doves and smashing pumpkin shit, distracted by Jeff Buckley or Elliot Smith when Bodies became a hit. But I remember staying up late to watch the film clip on Rage and it just seems so similar to every other new metal track that I never thought to engage. But I know the Drowning Pool have a real legion of fans and there's a million people out there who say that Dave was a legendary man. So thanks to your peer pressure, I'll definitely give the album a spin and I'll find some time to sit on the couch and watch some live clips. So strap yourself in, crack open a bag of chips and brace yourself for the latest episode of But Your Death Trip. I got a theory why you might have missed Drowning Pool. Bodies came out in 2001, along with the album Sinner itself. What else came out in 2001? Alien Ant Farm's Antology. Is that how we're pronouncing it still? Antology. Antology. Uh, Chimera Pass Out of Existence. Fear Factory Digimortal. El Nino Revolution Revolution. American Head Charged A War of Art. Arch Enemy Wages A Sin. Creed Weathered. Favourite of yours. Kitty, Oracle, Machine Head, Supercharger, Nickelback, Silver Side Up, P.O.D., Satellite, Ramstein, Mutter, yeah. Sepultura Nation, Seven Dust, Animosity, Slipknot, Iowa, Static X Machine, Soil, Scars, Sum 41, All Killer, No Filler, System of a Down, Toxicity, and the big one that came out the day that Bodies came out was Tools Lateralis. That's what would have got me, yes. Do you think, apart from the fact that there was a ton that was out at the time, you may have you know, overlooked Drowning Pool. Do you think 2001 was like peak era for the metal community? Because that is a stellar list. It's missing Deftones' White Pony. It would have just ticked everything. When I heard Bodies, there wasn't enough in it to grab me. It just sounded like every other new metal band, which is weird because people speak about this band with such reverence. And then if sadly Dave hadn't passed away, who was obviously an incredible person and everyone loved him. They're like, Drowning Pool would have been the next big thing. Look, I, I like him more than Godsmack. I, I just don't think there was enough to grab me. And I was probably focused more on albums like Lateralis. It seems that at that stage, you kind of wanted to move away from the kind of, let's say, high school years to the more 
collegiate kind of years. Like I, I knew people when I went to university that were still listening to like New Metallica or Trapped or Redeemer. And around that time, I was kind of, this is all getting samey, but I really, really have been enjoying this band called The White Stripes. And I've been listening to, you know, Pixies once again and stuff like that. Kind of feels like it was around that time that, you know, I don't want to speak for yourself, but perhaps our taste in music kind of deviated from, I want to smash things to, no, I want to sit down and really think about shit. Well, I was looking at the albums that I have liked that we've talked about on Butcher Death Trip, and what I've realized is that most of the, the sort of new metal or metal bands that I've enjoyed have a bit of a little bit of pageantry to them, but a little bit of an ambition. Whereas I think Drowning Pool is sort of just like McDonald's. They're gonna satiate you for a little while, but they're not gonna really fill you up. But but it's a family favorite. Like you keep going back to it. It's it's a comfort band, you know? And I don't really like rock. I don't like hard rock. There has to be more of an edge to it. And when it's this sort of uh, I hate to say it, but a little bit bland hard rock where not a where there's not a lot of differentiation between the songs, I just find it hard to enjoy. And I was thinking about it. I really don't have any sort of cravings. Like I don't do fast food. I don't do fizzy drinks. I don't really do lollies. But I also never crave them. For me, this is like, yeah, I can see why people enjoy it and I can see why people might dig this, but there's not enough in it for me. It's not, um, it's basically empty carbs. (laughs) But but, but like if you're going to look at empty carbs, like, like let's say Creed and Nickelback, I like their songs when they're softer. I have a problem with hard rock. It's things that just rock. And everyone's like, Bodies is the greatest new metal song because it's about moshing. The amount of media I consume this week about Drowning Pool and why people love them. Everyone's like, that song is the greatest new metal song. What the fuck is Got the Life by Korn then? I don't even I don't even agree with that. And I don't even think Bodies is the best song on the album. No, I would skip it 10 out of 10 times. That, maybe that's because it's me though, because around the time that Bodies came out, wrestling and new metal had an almost symbiotic relationship you know fucking fred durst was appearing in playstation wwe games at the time and and i remember that when they were going to reboot a company called extreme championship wrestling because the wwe bought them it was oh we're going to use bodies as the theme music uh, and just they pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped uh, to the point where they absolutely, the WWE loved using Drowning Pool. They appeared not once but twice at WrestleMania 18, performing Triple H's theme music uh, before the main event. And one of my favorite wrestlers of all time on my Mount Rushmore, uh, Kevin Owens, formerly Kevin Steen, used Tearaway on the independent circuit and even sampled that scream from Tearaway just before it kicks in in every single entrance theme that he had before he got signed so for me it was kind of like front and center just being blasted in my face like bodies 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 but and i just thought ah you know it it's a fun little black you know it's oh have it on the you know like when smells like teen spirit comes on in a bar or a club and it's like I wouldn't actively go out of my way, especially to listen to this song, but it's on. It's a bit of fun, but nah, man, the bodies, if people think that bodies is the greatest new metal song ever written, then I think, well, what about Slipknot Left Behind? Let's say Corn's Got the Life. Let's say Nookie by Limp Bizkit. 
let's say My Own Summer by Deftones, you know, I don't even think if Dave was still alive that, because he always, it seemed like he was quite a humble guy. I don't even think he would say that Bodies was the best song that they wrote. It definitely broke them through, but I got a theory about why it was so popular. And it's the theory of the bounce, which we've discussed previously. I don't think Drowning Pool intended to make music that was solely there for people to kick the living shit out of each other during a mosh. I think that they wrote songs that people can jump along and bounce and have fun to. And for example, I Am off the album has definitely got the dynamics that make you pogo and jump around and have fun rather than like smash into each other, which I guess is what Bodies was. I mean, maybe that was the popularity reason. Bodies was the catharsis where people could just, you know, mosh. Yeah, with this band, I totally get why people like it. I get why people yeah. would go back to it. I also think they are really great guys, very, very humble. And, you know, the early death of, of Dave was really, really tragic. But I also think they, they really benefited from being an American band and having that touring circuit available where you can play venues that are three to 700 people a night that smaller countries like London, Australia, and New Zealand oh, don't the, offer. that country London. <laughs> it feels like a country sometimes, man. But yeah, I get it. You could tour America and it, you would have the same kind of tour schedule as if you were touring Europe, including the United Kingdom. Uh, and it's a hell of a lot different than maybe the tour circuit in Australia. I mean, Australia is big, but you've got, what, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne... Adelaide, Perth, Perth. Who the fuck wants to play in Perth? Well, it's a three-hour flight. It's only good if you go into to that country of London after that. But have you heard the version of Bodies that's on the Pieces of Me EP that was really, really popular and got them their notoriety? It's fucking nastier sounding. It's better. It it's rawer. Yeah. And the wah of the guitar is way more up front. Have a listen to this. That part is awesome. You think there might have been an over-reliance on uh, CJ used with the wire pedal throughout most of their singles? Uh, I'm a Magic Dirt fan, so they use it all the time. I think there, there was a lot of it in there. Yeah. But I, I don't mind it. I, it adds a bit of chaos to, to their sound and something different. And that's hard when you're a four-piece band with just one guitar, one bass player and one drummer, you know, and, and a front front person. So yeah, I, I understand why they would lean to it just to fill out that sound and make it a little bit more varied. But yeah, I, I like that mix though a little bit more, but you're not going to get that. They're not going to suddenly be played on the UFC and WWF broadcasts with that mix. So they, they made the smart business decision to re-record that for Sinner. But something interesting was happening every time I listened to this album. As every song was building up to the chorus, I would start to get ready for Machine Heads from this day. Oh, okay. Have a listen to this. This is this is what it sounds like in my head. Is it the drum beat? Is it the drum fill leading into the chorus? Where's Dr. Drums? He'd know. 
I haven't heard from Dr. Drums for a while, but does it work for Sinner? It works incredibly well with Sinner. All right, do all over me then, if you think it's universal. It works, man. Trust me. It works for every song. Trust me. Why did they front load the album with the three singles as well? That's a dangerous, dangerous game to play, man. I remember seeing the Libertines at Leeds Festival and they front-loaded their set with all of the hits and then went into like, oh, here's some other stuff. And it was like, nah, I'm only here to see, you know, up the bracket. I mean, I don't know if it's a good choice or a bad choice. I can maybe see where they were coming from. Tearaway was a fucking massive hit. I thought Hybrid Theories up there because that had Paper Cut and One Step Closer. But then I can't think of another album we did that has three singles straight off the bat. But if you're going to talk about set lists, I've done some deep diving, okay? So on April 9th of this year, 2022, Drowning Pool played with Head PE and Il Nino at Warehouse Live in Houston. Here's the set list, all right? Sinner from Sinner. I think from Desensitized. Step Up from the Punisher soundtrack, also used on the soundtrack of NFL Street 2, was also as the main theme for the World Wrestling Entertainment pay-per-view, WrestleMania 20. Feel Like I Do from their self-titled fourth album, which another band did, Deftones. Wasn't their fourth album self-titled? Yeah, it was. The one that had a Minerva. Just admit you don't have any ideas, guys. <laughs> hey, hey. It was esoteric. Anyway. Strike a Nerve from the... It's a new song from the album Strike a Nerve. And then Sermon, Tearaway, and Bodies. So that's four songs from Sinner, two from Desensitized, a new song, a dr- Drowning Pool record, and the Punisher soundtrack. So they're still leaning heavily on Sinner. But I mean, why would you not? That's the album that broke them through. And do you not think that perhaps it's paying homage to Dave who got them to the dance? It's a difficult situation as a band. You want to play new stuff and you want to have a varied sort of set list. But also you like, we know the fu- we know what you guys are into. We, we know what you want to hear. We know who's coming. So I think it's smart from them. Now, I looked at this tour. Warehouse Live holds around 1,200 people. There are other venues around 300 to 500 to 700, but they're able to do a full tour. But if this was 2001, Drowning Pool, Head PE, and El Nino, what size venue do you think they should be playing? If they're not doing a Family Values tour, I'm saying maybe capacities around like two to 3,000. Yeah, potentially, yeah. When If you're talking about like doing Family Values tour, did you know that Jägermeister sponsored Drowning Pool? Bloody Jägermeister sponsored nearly everyone. Who else do they sponsor? Jägermeister sponsored uh, Roadrunner Records doing the Road Rage tours here in the UK with Spineshank. And I mean, crikey, I ended up getting given a Jägermeister shirt by a, a small Oxford band by the name of Jaw. So it wasn't as if Jägermeister were very selective with who they went with. Yeah, so in 2002... Jägermeister organized this tour with Drowning Pool as headliners and Cold Chamber and Il Nino. And they were down to play the WWF Cafe in New York. Do you know anything about this this restaurant in Times Square, New York? Fucking terrible idea. A terrible. They lost money on the WWF New York. Originally, I think it was called The World. And then 
they took over the lease and the idea was that yeah you could have some of your some of the most popular wwe superstars just hanging out while you eat our really expensive cabanara in basically a tourist trap uh, and they used to show pay-per-views there i'm guessing they did gigs there as well but the whole thing just lost a ton of money it was it was up there with when wcw tried to do nitro grill in las yeah. vegas <laughs> yeah, yeah. or when or hulk hogan when he did Pastamania, which is a meme that is all over the internet but yeah that, that was awful but again it plays into the fact that the wwe absolutely loved drowning pool which just used them everywhere there's not much info about the wwf cafe i found it's like like three stories or whatever there's only a few musical performances noted there there was the misfits and then in april 2002 Prince performed there. Like, you know how he does those spontaneous after parties after his shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he did that. But Jägermeister also, in 2005, released this, like, CD. And it's got bands, like, that I remember enjoying. Dog Fashion Disco, uh, Chimera, a band that has been requested for us to do. Hatebreed, who I am surprised have never come up on this podcast. I always thought they were just a bit too on the heavy side. I found them more more hard you know in the in the hardcore side of things than say the things that we talk about but you know when we start talking about chimera uh, and we talk about hate breed and we do biohazard then man it's it's all changed there so i didn't know jägermeister was so big into bands i don't know where the fuck i was when they were releasing all this shit you think metallica helped like the tour stories of metallica when they discovered jägermeister and it just it became the thing that they would hold in press photos when they were being dubbed as alcoholica. I remember it was always on like the top of the amp, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What was that drink that Pantera would drink? Like the Black Tooth Smile or Black Tooth Grin? Oh yeah, yeah, the Black Tooth Grin. What's that? Isn't it Crown Royal whiskey with with Coke or, or there's something else? On the most recent season of Hot Ones, Dave Grohl. Who, you know, if you interview Dave Grohl, it's like, fuck, he's going to take you on holiday with him. He always makes everyone feel good. He was just serving Black Tooth Grins all the time. It, it became synonymous with uh, Dimebag Daryl. Dave's kind of weird in that episode because he keeps putting his fingers in the drink to pour it. To stop the ice. Yeah, but I don't want your fingerprints all over Dave, Dave Grohl's fingerprints all over it. I, I, I'll live with, you know, it's not like... He's spitting in it or like licking his fingers and going, oh, hold on a minute. My fingers are really dry, you know. I've seen people roll up joints that in a post-COVID world should never be handed around to the point where it's like, oh, I'll, I'll let you lick it. But it's <laughs> like that. Oh, I'll, I'll lick it to seal the, the joint, you know. Some of lawyers have told me happens. But like, don't lick your fingers to roll, man, because you finger like you may as well just fucking spit inside the roll-up cigarette. We'll replace joint with cigarette. That's why I always use gorilla glue for my marijuana, marijuana. consumption. No, I I just skip the marijuana then and huff on the glue. But speaking of Pantera, fuck, they loved Dave Williams from Drowning Pool. They loved Drowning Pool. Dimebag even gave him the nickname Stage. Yeah, who didn't though? Because from everything that I've read about Drowning Pool. I have not seen one really poor kind of description about Dave Williams. He always seemed very friendly, very generous, very grateful for where he's at. I hate to say it, but it's the um, Kobe Dicks or Mr. Dick, if you're nasty. There's that bravado that he brings on stage, but off stage, you always seem to get the impression that Kobe 
very grateful for the opportunities and everything like that. And I, I guess it was, he's still in the same school as Kobe Dix when it's like, we fucking blew up, but we didn't expect to blow up this big. And now we're really grateful for it. I mean, the dude with his first royalty check wanted to buy, this is, we're back on to Dave now, by the way, listeners, sorry for the tangent. He wanted to buy his parents a house with his first royalty check. And unfortunately, he passed away before he could accomplish that. And do you know what the band did? Uh, I'm going to say bought him his parents a house? Yeah, all the royalties from the DVD release of the band ended up uh, paying for the house. That's that's apparently all Dave wanted to do, was to buy his parents a home. But yeah, I've, I've not heard anything bad about Drowning Pool or Dave Williams. And I, I have to give Cass McCombs a bit of credit as well, because... That might have been a very unnerving situation to find himself in, having to step into the shoes of Dave Williams when Drowning Pool decided, yeah, we've given enough time now, let's let's go and maybe record something new. Because it was three years, it was 2001 Cine came out, and then 2004 was when the follow-up came out, and... Uh, but I always got the impression that Drowning Pool and Soil were, were very close. I'm guessing they must have toured quite a lot together. I have no idea who the fuck Soil is. I've listened to them once. How the fuck do you not know who Soil is? My little halo. They are so bland, man. They were. Oh, like, what? Well, uh, save it for another podcast oh, episode, Reese. If we do them, I'm going to tear them apart. They suck. All right, well, okay, let's just get it out the way now. Right, so you don't like hard rock. So I'm guessing you were never into Jet or Wolf Mother, that garage rock kind of stuff. No, I don't like It's sort of like this weird pace of like, yeah, rocks, but it's all kind of by the numbers and it's, it feels like it's cosplaying rock. But I, I prefer bands like Finger Eleven and Full Devil Jacket. And people don't speak about those bands with the same reverence that they, they do Drowning Pool, but... Their songs seemed a bit slower and there was a bit more focus on songwriting rather than letting just like the, the rock carry the song. And I think it's like Jerry Seinfeld when he does like pop-up appearances in New York comedy clubs. He's like, you get about five to 11 minutes on your name alone. And I think rock bands get about five to 11 songs before people are like, oh, I'm tired of rocking. It feels like people just like, oh, I just want to rock and I don't care what I listen to. Again, like eating McDonald's. Like, oh, I just want to eat and I don't give a fuck what it is. And I understand that's pretentious, but you look at bands like Slipknot that I adored, like metal sort of bands, and at least they had some sort of costume or like a dude smashing a keg, uh, you know, Huff and Dead Crows. There was something I could sort of hang my hat on a little bit rather than just like, this rocks! You can hang your head on Huffing Dead Crows. But in saying that, I would much rather have Drowning Pool fill stadiums over Disturbed. One of the greatest mysteries in my life, besides the O'Doyle rules moment, is how the fuck Disturbed have enough fans to fill a stadium. They are the blandest fucking... Hum a Disturbed riff. Anybody, that's my challenge. Not the vocal melody, just hum a Disturbed riff. No one can do it. It is so bland. You do it. I can't do it. I can't. There's nothing. Oh, you, to do. Can't, you can't hum any melody or any riff. Got to kind of grit your teeth, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and then yeah. like push your tongue to you know, and the back of your teeth like. 
looks angry, man. Looks like you've uh, you can't pass a bell movement. I don't know where I'm going with that, man. But I I don't know. There's a lot of people that would say to me uh, back in the day, oh, I just want an album that's like non-stop, boom, 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 and I I don't understand it. You know, I don't understand why you'd want a full-blown album that's just from start to finish. Well, that's what Spineshank, The Height of Callousness is, and but it's fucking great. It, it, there's there's something in there, be it the programming, or there's points of differences in songs, you know? And I think you can hear Dave in pity, almost sounding a little bit like Johnny from Spineshank, and I'm like, oh, if you were with musicians who sort of pushed it and experimented a bit more, like, how good would you sound? Like, there's some, a little bit of difference in that, but overall, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, it's just like song after song after song. Height of Callousness had its lucid moments as well. Like, New Disease, I thought, was more melodic than, say, synthetic, you know. If Johnny's listened to this, Johnny, man, I, I maintain the fact that Strictly Diesel was great. Do you think, then, Restep, perhaps your problem with this album is the pacing of the dynamics? It's hard rock, really. It's hard rock in so, the middle, and so, I just don't yes. care. So, yeah, I That's think so. Yes. Go That's faster or yes. slow it down. Like, I can't mosh to this. Like, that bounce, I don't get it nearly as much. It just feels, maybe because I'm a bit hyperactive, you know, and I my frequency is a little bit high. I'm just like, go harder, go faster, you know, or back it off and let, and let me feel the songwriting and the soaring choruses that other bands gave me, you know. Corn's Got the Life is one of the best tempoed songs in the new metal sort of world you'll get. That that's infinitely yeah. better than Bodies, you know. And Bodies, I thought it was like a meme song. I thought it was a joke, you know, that nothing wrong with me, too. Nothing. It's just counting in the same line repeated, which sort of I don't think does new metal any favors. Okay, but Ramstein did it with links two, three, four. Yeah, but they did it with a point to try and say to people, we are not far right. So there was a message behind that. Not just everybody get the fuck up, get the fuck up. You know, this is equivalent to Dry Kill Logic's SAB. You know, get the fuck up, get the fuck up, jump the fuck down. You know, it's basically like Richard Simmons with a distorted guitar behind it. Christ, I never thought I'd hear that. Richard Simmons with an electric guitar. All right, guys, we're going to do star jumps. Do star jumps. One, do when star jumps now. Two, do when star jumps now. But yet, it's still caught in your head. Well, not even because from this day is caught in my head. Yeah, even, man, because you keep making a big deal about that particular part of a song, which is the pre-chorus, which evidently is going to be similar to the other pre-choruses in the same song. It, it's I know it's it's simple songwriting, and I don't mean to belittle um, Drowning Pool for saying that, but... You know, it's just simple stanzas, isn't it? You've got your intro, verse, pre-chorus, chorus. And of course, the pre-chorus is going to be very similar across the one song because it's that uniformality that people remember. So, you know, don't you hate on Drowning Pool because they managed to get you with their um, catchy lyrics, as simplistic as they may be? Again, poor analogy, I know, but it's like, hey, if I ate McDonald's, it's like, yeah, I ate it because it was the only thing on the freeway. Or when I was little, oh, it had a toy with it, or they 
have a new McFlurry thing that I want to try. You go in and you, you experiment and you go, this actually isn't for me. I'm not going to go back here. But some people are like, oh, I love cheeseburgers <laughs> and they just want McDonald's. And I really want to say this. This album isn't for me, but I don't begrudge anyone from listening to this. Like if someone said my favorite band is Disturbed, I was like, have you heard that drop and plate song? Like what are you doing with your time? There's so many better bands, potentially even with Stained. Like if you heard what that singer's talking about, but this band, I'm like, enjoy yourself. Like, there is there is no one happier late at night than someone just sitting on a street corner with a bag of KFC just being like, fuck yeah. Yeah, see, I would more get behind uh, KFC or even Hungry Jack's analogies because as opposed to McDonald's, you get a bit more of a fill from, like, Hungry Jack's or KFC, you know? I think Edema and Trap them more the McDonald's side of things. I'm crying into my McFlurry while while listening to Edema. I think there is a lot more substance behind Drowning Pool, even if it is, in your kind of estimation, paint by numbers, by the book. Which is not filling. Rock. That's what I would say. Rock music. Hard rock. It rocks. It's like, oh, okay, where's it going? What's it saying? It's like, nothing, but it's rock. It's the same reason I don't like ACDC. That's sacrilege. You have to hand in your passport for that. I'm sure you do. No, man, just you go, all right, all right, everyone, gather around. What words do you associate with rock? It's like devil, hell, horns. It's like, all right, this song's called devil, hell, horns. Devil, hell, horns. What is this about? Like, fucking put a mask on and hit a keg with a baseball bat. At least the album doesn't overstay its welcome. It clocks in for 37 minutes. People love this album. People love this band. We've got... Listen to Paul from the Vance and Sunshine podcast. He sent something in. I'm calling him Drowning Paul from now on. Uh, he sent us something in. Let's have a listen. This is Baccio Death Trip, a division of Gobshite Industries. Please leave your message after the beep. Hey, Reese. Hey, Benji. It's Paul here. Now, despite being a massive emo, I absolutely loved Drowning Pool and I'm so stoked you guys are doing them. And despite never really being much of a new metal fan, this band just absolutely grabbed me. It might have been OzFest, it might have been WWE, it might have even been the prominently displayed edition of the cinema DVD at Roundabout Music and Bendigo's music DVD section. Whatever it was, I very quickly became a fanatic and I loved their first record, Sinner, beyond the novelty of Bodies. I also bought that record at Roundabout Music, but unlike Reese, I did not return it once I had burnt it. So obviously, when you're talking about Drowning Pool, one of the more prominent parts of their lore or their story is the passing of Dave Williams right as the band's star was rising. And the music world is sadly occasionally rocked by the untimely passing of some of our idols or heroes. And while the passing of megastars can be a shared experience, sometimes a musician, hero, idol, whatever you might call them, will pass and you might end up grieving for them alone. A few years ago, the passing of Dan Searle, who was the guitarist of Architects, unexpectedly rocked me so much, I had to take a day off work to assess my own mortality. You know, he was pretty similar in age, I loved the band, I didn't know he was unwell, and you know, it really kind of got to me and I, I didn't see it coming. So, respectfully excluding legends like Joey Jordison and Taylor Hawkins, who I know you guys have spoken about before, Reese and Benji, has the impact of the passing of a particular artist ever kind of taken you by surprise or really rocked you to your core? Hope you guys are rad. Peace. Oh. Fuck it. Fuck, Paul.
Paul. Right. I remember 1994. I was living in Mount Ross School in uh, New Zealand. And I had my mum walk into my bedroom and go, oh, Ben, you better wake up. You better wake up. I think there's something you need to watch on the news. And uh, I got up and I walked and I put the news on. And uh, it was the day that Kirk Cobain was found dead. And it got me thinking about death a little more than I would have wanted to at that age. I mean, there was an inquisitiveness, but yeah, that rocked me. And I felt so isolated because around that time in that area, it was predominantly hip hop that people were listening to. When I finally got to uh, intermediate, as it's called in New Zealand, or, or fucking high school, whatever you want to call it, I finally found people that were into different bits of music, the same kind of music that I was into. But yeah, that death rock, and on a on a more personal level, if you don't mind, Reese, when Ruben Winter died, it didn't just rock me. I think it rocked an entire country because he was just so young and so fucking talented, you know. And it's his birthday tomorrow. He had the a, a birth. His birthday was a day before mine, so. When his mum contacted me and said that I have to let you know about Ruben, I just, I didn't think it was a joke, but I just didn't know how to feel. And and that one rocked me and rocked, God, everybody I knew, even my mum, who hadn't met Ruben as often as, say, Maeve and Martin and Tom and a whole bunch of other people, you know, yourself included, man. Even she was like, "Oh, I'm I'm really really sad. Please pass Iona my my condolences." So that that was a big one for me. In fact, I think Taylor Hawkins aside, I would say that Ruben was like one of the biggest musical deaths. I'm not on the level of say other people, but it definitely definitely cut. When when someone passes away so young, and they're so talented. You know, I think there's there's obviously a lot of weight that goes with that and unfulfilled potential. But I still think there's a part of my brain that's like, look, I might not be able to do this, this and this, but if I could just write a song like that person, if I could just sing like that person, you know, if I could just write amazing, simple grunge songs like Kurt Cobain, I'd be happy. And it's like, it, it, that isn't the answer. And maybe life is far more complex than I gave it credence. And I think often it's it's the... Passing of a loved one, and you had you're really close with Ruben. Oh yeah. And in the case of someone like Kurt Cobain or Chester from Lincoln Park, I don't think it's their death as such. It's seeing the fallout. Well, in particular Chester, because you you see all the fans around the world, and you start to hear all these stories about how they touch so many lives. Like just today, I saw a video of Chester jumping off stage and holding the hand of a, a girl in a wheelchair who was at the front in like this special access area and just singing into her like eyes and she was singing along, like making these special moments and, and to see fans around the world holding online vigils and singing along to their songs or, or doing the, the show in, I think they did it at the Hollywood Bowl, I could be wrong. You could just feel like how much he impacted their lives and it's like, oh, and then you put on one more light and you're like, oh God, you know, um, to know what he was feeling at that time as well. It's like, I think that adds a whole other layer of feelings on it 
So I think it's just like the, the ripple effect and seeing the emotions in other people as well and knowing the knock-on effect, it just makes it a lot heavier. Which makes it even more kind of pertinent when you hear that when uh, Ryan took over as the vocalist and they would dedicate Tear Away to Dave, everyone would sing along and everyone would get teary-eyed. And yeah, that's a pretty heavy question to ask us, Paul. How about we lighten the mood up a little bit with an advert? Reese. today's advert, please. Okay, the ad that we're going to play today, it's really hard to follow. Okay. But it's, I think it's about the movie Money Plane that you were talking about. So I, I've seen the movie recently. Um, it's not great. I, re- I, I rewatched it. You psycho. Just for you, Reese. No man of like run up or lead in will ever be able to explain this to new listeners, let alone you, Benji, the co host. So fucking let's just jump into the ad. There will be no white flag above my daughter. I'm in love. Oh, fuck. Hey, watch where you're going, man. Craig David? What are you doing here? Man, you're doing way more than just walking away. You look like you're on a fucking mission. But uh, hey, how you doing, man? I haven't seen you since Dr. Drum's engagement party the other week. Um, did you hear what happened to him? Can you fail me in? Man, the party was fucking truly wild. What time did you end up leaving? It must have been about quarter past three. Oh, Dr. Drum's just fucking like kept wanting to put on this movie Money Plane. Everyone refused to watch it. He said it was good. Have, have you seen it? It's a special kind of thing. What? Are you talking about 2020's Money Plane? The one that got 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is apparently a steaming pile of shit. When, when the fuck did you see it? Thursday? Thursday? Man, I, you should have hit me up. I would have gone with you. Anyway, let me give um, my friend Benji a call. He, he knows a lot about movies. And anyway, I'll see you later, Craig David. I'm walking away. Yep, all right. See you, ma'am. What the fuck have you done, Reese? Big Eggs. Yo, Psychonaut, how you doing, man? Um, I just bumped into Craig David, and I was telling him about Dr. Drum's, like, raving about Money Plane. What do you reckon about that movie? Like, you've seen it. Can you just condense it for me? You know, how do I condense... How fucking great that movie is, and how good Joey Lawrence is in a wig, man. Like, that's a piece on his head. That, where's the Oscar? Where's the fucking special effects Oscar for making sure that Joey Lawrence still looks like Joey from Blossom? Underrated, yeah. man. Kelsey Grammer okay. killed it. Absolutely killed it. Oh, yeah, I forgot Kelsey Grammer was in it. Uh, isn't it like about a plane and they, they take bets on shit or something? I had a fucking bet between a man versus a cobra. Fucking brilliant, man. Well, Ben, that's some high praise. You know what? I Let's do it. This week's episode sponsored by Money Plane. It's a legend in the underworld. To those that know, it's the Money Plane. A bulletproof casino in the sky. Untouchable by any government agency. Whatever you want to wager on, the Money Plane has you covered. Russian roulette. They carry up to a billion on board in crypto and millions in cash. I want you and your crew to take down the house. 
Money plane never going back. Action packed with gambling on a tarmac. We highly recommend you see this movie. Remember Denise Richards? Yeah, she's in it. Oh, money plane. Go see that movie. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Hmm. It is on Amazon Prime, so you don't even have to pay money for it. I would never pay money for that. That was one of the shittest no, movies I've ever seen. I mean, welcome aboard. We're glad to have you as a sponsor, but fuck. Just watch the trailer for that movie, people, and just enjoy. Enjoy that. I'd be careful. Edge might, you know, be touring Australia soon, and uh, I don't need to get spear tackled by any means, man. By any means. So before we uh, go into some other <clears throat> admin that we have to do, uh, Drowning Pool, Reese wasn't a big fan, but like he said, he's not going to begrudge you if you are a fan. Ez, I hope that really helps you during your therapy. <laughs> and uh, I, I really like it. And I, I really like Dave Williams. And I, uh, it makes me wonder, much like Paul said, much like you've alluded to, Reese, where Drowning Pool would have been if, if um, Dave had not have passed away. Would they have usurped maybe a bunch of other bands that perhaps weren't deserving of being up there in the higher kind of echelon of, of metal bands. If it wasn't for WWF, would you still listen? I would, because I really rated Dave Williams' voice, and especially in Tearaway. You know, if anyone's going to pick, like, a Drowning Pool track to appear on, like, a, an end-of-all new metal compilation, then... I wouldn't pick bodies. I mean, I get it. It's popular, but like Tear Away is quite clearly the better song of the two. And then Sinner. Uh, and you don't like I Am because it's one of those bullshit titles like, oh, what are we going to call this song? Uh, I Am Hungry. Oh, no, just I Am. That'll do. Yes, That'll do. I hate that shit. Me, mine. But I think I would still check it out. But it's interesting because much like we talked about how some people were informed of new bands by seeing other bands wearing t-shirts perhaps you're right perhaps i wouldn't have gotten into it as much had it not have been for the wwe's involvement but they, they, they just fucking pasted it you know we're looking at maybe like they've got three or four tv shows a week back in the day when that came out so imagine that three or four times in one episode, like 16 times that they would use bodies in one week. Kind of hard not to try and escape that if you're a wrestling fan. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're listening now, nostalgia ties in with it. And we talk about Drowning Pool, like what would they be like now? Well, I wonder what sort of kids these days would think of when they heard Drowning Pool. And I met a bass prodigy the other week. His name's Jaden. Okay. And I was hanging out with his dad and uh, stepmom. And he's like, hey, Reese, I play the bass. Do you want to hear me play? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. But in my mind, I'm thinking, this is not going to – I've been in this position before. This is not going to be good. He comes out and just starts, like, slapping. And I'm like, what the hell? Pretty much self-taught. I don't think he looks at tabs. I think he does everything by ear and, like, watching just – YouTube video clips, not even like tutorials. He's just like listens over and over, like really, really good. And it gave me an idea for a game, Benji. Oh, okay. Would you like to play a game? Yes, I would like to play a game, Reese. So we've got Bass Prodigy Jaden here. I've got a bunch of songs. I've just given it to him to learn. I think he did it all by ear. Okay. 
A lot of these are first takes, I think, but you'll hear there's some talent there. So Jaden is playing bass riffs, and I have to guess what the bass riff is from. Bingo. It, it might not particularly be the actual bass riff, but it's an interpretation of a melody from that song on the bass guitar. Is that correct? You should be able to get a few of them at least. I, I, I would hope so. Well, Reese, hit the tick, man. Hit that tick. Benji, what do you think that is? Dun, dun, chicka, dun, dun, chicka, chicka, chicka. That is uh, Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, yeah. Awesome work. Awesome work, oh, Jaden. You got that you got that chunky tone down, Jaden. Loving it. What do you think that is, Benji? Oh, would that be uh, Cannonball by the Breeders, my friend? Yeah, yeah! Two, one, now. It's not a bad reputation by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, is it? Yeah! Yeah! Oh! <laughs> These next uh, ones are really tricky. Like, I know the song, <laughs> and yeah. I don't know the bass riff, so good luck. Okay, all right. what that is i know what i want to say but i don't know if it's right i, I want to say come together by the beatles oh no but that is a good guess oh yeah that is give it away by the red hot chili peppers i'm sorry oh i would never have gotten that Jaden, because it's way better <laughs> yeah way Jaden better. kept his shirt on too some yeah somewhere flea is is very concerned about another australian bass player isn't he Alright, second last one. Part of me wants to say is it's not another Rage Against the Machine track, is it? No, it's not. Right, can I get a clue? It's a song we've talked about a lot on this episode. That's not Bodies by Drowning Pool, is it? <laughs> you fucking scumbag. <laughs> well, look, if you get this one, I will... Watch Money Plane again. Okay, yeah. So if you get this one, man, I will watch Money Plane every night for the rest of my life. How old is this guy? I think he's 13. 
Man, he's, he's slapping that bass quite well, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh. That's why I was surprised when he brought out the, the bass to the living room. And I was like, oh, what do we got, kid? And he's like, bump, 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 bump. I was like, oh, my God. I started singing Mudvayne's Dig. Is it modern or is it an older song? It's very modern. Oh, well, that, I'm fucked then. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, uh, looks like you're getting away with not having to watch Money Plane, man. No, I concede defeat on this one. I'm sorry. That's because that's a Jaden original. That's what he's making up on the spot. He's just slapping the bass on his bed. That's what he's doing. <sighs> I've lost on the technicality here, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll suck it up. How about this? Would you like a bonus game? All right, I'll do a bonus game. All right then, ma'am. So right. do you know what the fans of Drowning Pool are called? No. So get this. They're called the Drowning Victims. Okay, that's, that's not good. Especially I know. If you're, if you're a Jeff Buckley fan, you're, that's definitely not good. I know. I couldn't believe it. So I was like, what are other fan bases called? And I couldn't remember if we've done one of these games before. I've looked through what fan clubs or like fans of bands, obviously Justin Bieber, they're called Beliebers, you know. Yeah. I think Nicki Minaj fans are called Barbs or Barbies. I'll say the fan names. You say the band. Are you ready? Let's give it a go. The Echelon. Static X. I'm sorry. 30 seconds to Mars. Oh, fuck that cunt. The Black Stars. Uh, My Chemical Romance. I'm sorry. Avril Lavigne. Do you know this one? The Droogies? The Droogies? No. I'm sorry. That's Megadeth. You should get this one. Candy Cane Children. Oh, White Stripes, mate. Yeah, yeah. Dunderheads. The Office, the American Office. Yeah, yeah. Rusties. Rusties. Yeah. TV show or a band? Band. Band or a solo musician? Solo. Neil Young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey man, Russ never sleeps. Hulk maniacs. Ah, oh, fucking Hulk Hogan, mate. Yeah, yeah. Avengers. <laughs> Avenged Sevenfold? Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> Gooners. Arsenal FC fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> only, only in North London, man. No, no, like, South London or, or West London. Soldiers. Right, it's either going to be 50 Cent or Master P. I'm sorry. Lincoln Park. Soldiers, okay. And last one, Killjoys. Right, cool logic. They don't have fans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That is my chemical romance. So weird, the fandom. I prefer Beliebers and Cumber Bitches. Yeah, man. Well, I was thinking about like the Head PE, Il Nino, the Drowning Pool shows, those sort of nostalgia reform bands sort of shows. And I was like, Fuck, Limp Biscuit are, are touring again. And so I sent roving reporter Josh from American Head Charge episode out to the Limp Biscuit show and he sent us in a review. You want to hear it? Yeah, I'll hear it. Last Tuesday, I went to go see Limp Biscuit with my lady partner at the Norva in Norfolk, Virginia. That this show added to the list of new metal heavy hitters that I'd previously seen at the Norva, including Papa Roach and Nonpoint in 2002 and Il Nino in 2004. The opening bands were a mixed bag, but overall pretty good. 
The first band, Scowl, from California, were really good hardcore. Highly recommended if you like West Coast-style hardcore punk. Uh, Wargasm UK were okay, kind of a more industrial take on things, kind of a mix of Diant Word meets The Prodigy with a live drummer who was the most interesting part of the performance, frankly. Uh, the highlight, though, was a cover of Lap Dance by local heroes N.E.R.D., or the Neptunes. So that was cool. I always appreciate a local cover. Then Snot was next, the rapper, not the band. And he was good until he stopped rapping along to the backing track and just started yelling along with it. It might have been better on record than live, but it was okay. Now, before Limp Bizkit started, I noticed a group of guys, maybe about 10 or 15 of them, who were all dressed like Fred Durst, with matching ripped backwards red hats, white t-shirts, and goatees in various stages of unkempt. At first, I thought they were entertaining until we found ourselves completely surrounded by Dursts, all shouting for John Otto, take him to the Matthews Bridge, over and over and over and over again. I'm fairly certain this is a circle of hell, being surrounded by drunk Dursts, all screaming at John Otto to take something, or someone, to the Matthews Bridge. But finally, Limp Bizkit took the stage, and they were fantastic. Finally getting to sing along and scream along to songs I grew up with with a very nice dose of nostalgia. My inner 13-year-old was jumping for joy, and my 35-year-old self was quickly realizing that jumping in place is bad for the lower back and knees. They played a nice mix of songs from their catalog, however, nothing off of $3 bill, y'all, which was a disappointment. Nevertheless, they played all of the hits, finishing with Take a Look Around, with some random dude they pulled up on stage because he was giving weed to DJ Lethal, who, by the way, was having the time of his life. DJ Lethal was smiling and dancing the entire time, playing various 90s pop hits in between the songs. He was probably having the most fun out of anybody that evening. After Take a Look Around, they brought the opening acts out while the end credits theme from Saturday Night Live played. They high-fived and hugged before Fred Durst finally said, Hold up, we forgot one. And West Borland immediately kicked into the riff to break stuff, which is when I immediately lost my voice while screaming, Break your fucking face tonight. It was as good a show as I could have possibly asked for. Finally getting to see them with their original lineup was an excellent experience. And if I couldn't see them in their 1999 prime, I'm glad I got to see them as an adult in his 30s when the band is still kicking ass and having fun. Thank you so much, Josh. That sounds really, really fun. And I love the idea that they're finishing the set with the Saturday Night Live. Everyone's out there hugging. <laughs> That's fucking funny. I got two things I'd like to say to Josh. First of all, could you refer to like drunk Fred Durst lookalikes as Fred Thirsts? Fred, yeah, absolutely, you could. Fred Thirst, yeah. And then second of all, DJ Lethal uh, hits the bong. Speaking of reviews, did my eyes deceive me? Someone actually reviewed us on Apple Podcasts? It's always fucking kind of grim when podcasts do this, and I hate podcasts that do it at the front you know, of the episode. It's like, oh, who's been tweeting at us, and who's been doing this? Who gives a fuck? But I like this review. So... Benji, would you like to do it in your beautiful hybrid New Zealand British accent? Okay, Apple review. Who who did the review? Did they leave a I think name? It's called or Smash it? This Place Up. Smash This Place Up? Smash okay. The Place Up. It's something like that. Okay, Apple review. Are you ready? <clears throat> You'll start. <laughs> Sorry, I made myself sound like a sexy Nigella Lawson recipe there. Though. 
You'll start out thinking Benji is the only one with something real to say about the bands he talks about with Reese, and not just trying to pick apart the drums, but as you go along, especially if you're binging the series as I currently am in quick succession, you'll find that both these fine gentlemen have quite the insightful takes on a lot of this music from your years wearing baggy jeans, forward slash jorts, oversized band tees, and wallet chains! Thanks to their brilliant, albeit very expensive, gotta spend money to make money sponsorship deals, I now have Scott Stapp finding my nearest hotel and brought back my frosted tips. Go to Moji. Really appreciate anyone who's sharing the podcast or getting involved. I reckon it's fucking cool. Um, we really like our hashtag 35k forever crew. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Is that an yeah. actual hashtag that we've got? That's news to me. Uh, I'll throw it out there sometimes, but it is getting near zero traction. But, you know, if you build it, they will ignore it. I, I was what I've learned. Someone didn't ignore the Sphinx, man, because they ended up robbing its fucking nose, didn't they? Allegedly. So my Egyptian lawyers have told me to say. John <laughs> <laughs> oh! kick it to the Golden Sphinx. Yeah.